Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Christ Church Cathedral, Nashville, Tennessee. You've made your way to the worship feed for Sunday, June the 27th. It's the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, and we'll be using the lessons appointed for proper eight, year B, track two. As ever, you'll find a worship script prepared for this morning. You can find it in one of two places. It's among the worship resources on the Christ Church website. Go to christcathedral.org, scroll down the homepage to the box called Worship Resources. Click there and you'll find a link to the worship script. The other place you can go if you're watching on the Christ Church YouTube channel is just beneath the edge of the video screen. There's a link that will open up an, a, a new window, an additional window, and provide you with lessons, responses, names of participants, really a devotional guide even for the coming week. Encourage you to use it in that way. We're continuing with our summer series, summer preaching series, listening to voices across black America and the African diaspora. This is our fourth week of the series, and our preacher today, it will not be unfamiliar to you, he is the Reverend Kevin Antonio Smallwood. When you last knew him, he was a school theology student at Swanee and a seminarian here at the cathedral, and he is now ordained a priest of the church and serving as Associate Rector, Grace Episcopal Church in Silver Spring, Maryland. Let's take just a moment together for a brief conversation of introduction, or for some of you, of reacquaintance. Reverend Kevin Antonio, so, so good to be with you. Good to be with you as well, Father Timothy. Thank you for having me. Yes, just to, just to see your face and that that just sort of 900 watt smile of yours is, is uh, that, that, that makes everything well. It really does. Uh, thank you for agreeing to come and, and be part of our series, uh, listening to voices across Black America and the African diaspora. Very much appreciate that. The people at Christchurch in large measure know exactly who you are. You served as a seminarian from Swanee for one academic year. Remind me, which academic year was that? Do you recall? It was 2018 to 2019. Okay. Tell, tell, tell us a little something about the home in which you grew up. And maybe the, maybe the jumping off point could be this. Did the arts, like song or painting or dance or public speaking, did the arts play a role in the household that, that raised you up in any way? Yeah, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for this question. I think it's so important um, when we're sharing parts of who we are in our stories, our narratives, um, to go right back to the home. Um, so I'm a native Washingtonian, um, but I also consider myself from what's known as the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Um, I grew up in Washington, DC, but did much of my schooling in Maryland. The home life that I grew up in, um, was multi-generational. I was kind of like the one who leaned heavily into the arts in my family. My mom was a dancer um, growing up. She did ballet 
but um, in school, I kind of got into um, music, so in choir. I was in church choir, of course, and then I was also in choir, um, the different levels of choir in middle and high school and grade school. Um, and I love singing, but I also love dancing. So I also did musical theater, also write poetry. Um, engaging with the arts was always a way that I was able to express different parts of who I am and, and um, what I was experiencing growing up. Well, wonderful. That's a, that's a great beginning, a great little peek uh, behind the curtain into what helped make you who you are and yeah. are today. I suppose maybe in some ways the first or maybe the second year of ministry has largely been uh, while the pandemic has been raging. My ordination to the diaconate was March 7th, 2020 in Western Massachusetts where I'm canonically resident and went up there. That was a great celebration. It was the last time that I was in a, a large crowd with people before the, the world shut down. Drove back down to D.C., had two days in the office, and then everything completely shut down. Amazing. Um, and I definitely, you know, was kind of rolling with it for a little while. And then it was like, well, how do I do this? I, I oversee Sunday school ministry and youth ministry. And like with all ministry in general, right? It's relational. You have to be engaged. You have to be engaged. Um, but especially with with children and youth, like that that close bonding moments for you to really get those physical cues and those body language and the tonalities in your voice and being able to be present um, is so important. And I kind of was like, how do I do this virtually? How do I? You know, there were some moments where I would have one kid on youth group, and then some moments where there would be ten. Um, it was just always up and down, but um, we made it, we pushed through, and our virtual church ministry has blossomed. We went from having just an iPhone to now having a full streaming service. And then in September, I was ordained, um, I was ordained a priest, and it was so interesting because- So that, that, that would have been a COVID ordination. It was the first time that I had been around multiple people in the sanctuary because it had just been those who are serving and the virtual church ministers. Um, and so it was both kind of like, my brain was still like, are we distanced enough? Are we doing this? Is everything okay? But also my heart was just so full to be around people who have supported me throughout for many years throughout this journey. Um, and even though it had to be limited, um, you know, we did have virtual a virtual option, which was just uh, an amazing thing. Yeah. So we're, we're hopefully we're coming out of this slowly but surely. The the, the statistics seem to be uh, pointing us in a in a positive direction at the moment, and some of that relational uh, ministry that 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 person to person community building is gonna come right to you now. And I, I, I'm wondering, both as that renews and for you, as you really begin to, to live into all that you've hoped for in this process of becoming a priest, do you imagine that there will be particular challenges for you in the Episcopal Church as a priest of color? Maybe you've already encountered some, uh, may, maybe not. I have experienced a range um, from covert and overt types of prejudices and racism. Um, but something is changing. And what makes me hopeful is that 
that we aren't just having the conversations. I feel like we were doing that for a long time as, as the Episcopal Church, which is good and, and so needed. But we're also starting to see structural changes, big mm. changes that are going to take a long time and going to take a while. Anything from like the symbols that we see in our church spaces all the way to the policies that we make it possible for other people of color to come in to ensure that people have access, not only financial, but community building access to not feel like the only person in the space, but to feel like this is a space where um, not only our faces, but our voices are mattered and what we have to offer is brought into that space. And I definitely see it. And some of the people I know across the Episcopal Church, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be be here at this time. Well, there, what's your thought about that phrase, majority white, and just in general about the language that we should use to be truthful about who we are in our past, but at the same time uh, be forward-looking in terms of the new day and the coming multi-ethnicity of the church? No, I think that that kind of, of awareness, self-awareness and communal awareness of, of what the reality is, whether it's just statistically numbered or historically, um, that's what it is, right? And when when you think about, you know, a radical welcome or 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 opening your your heart and your space into uh, into a place where um, that welcome doesn't mean come and just be like us, but mm. come and add to what is what is here, how the spirit is moving here, and being open to the fact that some that that will change, right? The the layout will change, the faces will change, um, but people want that realness right people want you to be able to 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 say like yes we know that this is majority white we know that this is what it is we know that this is in this clause or, or this is how the space looks right and not to just kind of like hide it away or to you know um kind of do like a showy like false like activism type of thing but like be real be like claim what it is and claim the truth so that we can face what the, the truth of the history is mm. the truth where we are now and the reality of it and where we're trying to go and building that vision together. Yeah. Um, and and being, being honest with, with oneself and, and our communities is going to be key in, in bridging whatever is trying to be bridged when we think of beloved community and we think of, of being, you know, people of the gospel and following Jesus. Um, that core, that core realness, as we say in DC, like just that, that realness is going to be important. Um, and so naming it, naming it as possible. Now, you know, to the point, and I don't also don't believe in like, you know, uh, beating down communities that have historically um, been seen as the oppressor or seen as the majority, right? Like, I don't believe in, in, in doing that either. I think that it's, it's a, it's a, a tender ebb and flow of trying to figure out how do we come together um, and, and, and move in ways that we can allow our spaces to really be spaces that are welcoming and our systems and our um, statements and our policies and, and what we, where we put our money and, and, and the artwork that's around us to really, to really do that. And not in a way of, of like, Let's just throw stuff up on the wall. Let's just throw random people of color up on the wall. But let's learn the history of who, who's in our city that we may have overlooked. Who are some historical people of color who are from this area that may need to be lifted up in this space? Brother. So 
Kevin Antonio, apart from the substance of what you said there, you used a phrase that going forward, I am from this day on going to quote as a Kevin Antonioism, the tender ebb and flow. I love that. I love that. The tender ebb and flow. It really it suggests the word, your words and awareness of the reality um, and a, a real intimate uh, connectedness to the gospel challenge. I think probably we should wrap it up there. We could go on. We could go on for a long time. I'm like fired up now. <laughs> but but we need to get to the preaching. We need to get to the worship. I, I, I want to pray a fresh falling of the Holy Spirit on you as you prepare to bring us the word this day. And uh, may our paths cross together very soon. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for this time. Thank you. Thank you, brother. God bless you. God bless you. Peace. The bells have begun to ring. Let us come before the throne of God. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have built your church upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, grant us so to be joined together in unity of spirit by their teaching, that we may be made a holy temple acceptable to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A reading from the Wisdom of Solomon. God did not make death, and he does not delight in the death of the living. For he created all things so that they might exist. The generative forces of the world are wholesome, and there is no destructive poison in them. And the dominion of Hades is not on earth, for righteousness is immortal. God created us for incorruption, and made us in the image of his own eternity. But through the devil's envy, death entered the world, and those who belong to his company experience it. The word of the Lord. The psalm appointed is Psalm 30. I will exalt you, O Lord, because you have lifted me up, and have not let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord my God, I cried out to you, and you restored me to health. You brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave. Sing to the Lord, you servants of his. Give thanks for the remembrance of his holiness. For his wrath endures but the twinkling of an eye, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. While I felt secure, I said, I shall never be disturbed. You, Lord, with your favor, have me 
made me as strong as the mountains. Then you hid your face, and I was filled with fear. I cried to you, O Lord. I pleaded with the Lord, saying, What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you or declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my wailing into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Therefore my heart sings to you without ceasing. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving you my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something, now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. The Word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better, 
but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Rise and shine, Christ Church Cathedral, Nashville. Wow, it is such a delight and honor to be present with you this morning. And thanks be to God for the gift of technology, even as difficult as it can sometimes be, it has brought us together again. Before journeying with you, as we seek more of God's wisdom and love, my grandmother, Bishop-elect Paula Clark, would encourage me to mind my manners. And in doing so, I must thank you first. 
Thank you, Dean Kimberl, for extending the invitation to be a part of this preaching series. Thank you, Christ Church Cathedral, for being so welcoming during my time with you and being so eager to host a series on racism and to discern how God is calling us to engage in the work of reconciliation and reform. For a portion of my life in Tennessee, I served at St. Thomas Midtown Hospital as a chaplain intern for my clinical pastoral education experience. I had the honor to stand with people at some of their most desperate times in need, and sometimes at the time of their deaths. Before this internship, I had been in hospital settings, but there was something both heartbreaking and life-giving in this particular experience as a chaplain. Most days brought uncertainty, not knowing how many people would come in or what their unique spiritual needs would be. Might I have to stand with a mother as she weeps, worrying for her child? Might I have to sing with the young boy who finds healing in his favorite hymns? Might I laugh with an auntie who is known as being the comedian of the family? There were many thoughts flying through my head and one was always that there's so much suffering and pain in the world from acute and chronic illness to all the injustices that we come across each day. If this pandemic has shown us anything, it's how dependent we are upon each other's health, healing, and wholeness. We have certainly forgotten this, so I'll say it again, we are dependent upon each other's health, healing, and wholeness. Certainly, we have to be. Quarantines that have run up us up the walls, masks and social distancing pulling us apart, and through it all, the continuation of racial disparities and injustices for communities of black and brown people. It is not surprising when systemic racism spreads into our institutions, even within healthcare, where black and brown patients are less likely to be believed of their pain and illness, and yet more likely to be given unfair and uncompassionate care. I recall showing up for a patient of Indian descent and when I arrived at his door, I knocked, opened it, and announced myself. He seemed both confused and intrigued that I came to see him. We began to talk and it was clear that no one had come to visit him. So we spent a considerable amount of time just talking and sharing stories with one another. At the end of our visit, 
I stood up and began to start my exit speech. He looked at me, began to cry, tears covering his face. And with a tender voice, he said, thank you for coming to see me. I did not know that someone would. I did not know that they did that here. It shook me to my core to watch this man be so transformed by simply by someone showing up for him at his door. His journey to healing and wholeness was made that much more possible just because someone came to show up for him. Stand with him, his pain, his grief, his history of illness became more possible to bear because he felt that and deeply knew that he was not bearing it alone. This is where we are today as we face the ugly truths of the history of our nation, wondering how we will show up as we eagerly seek to engage in tangible ways of rebuking the forces of racism, sexism, and any oppressive system that aims to create and sustain an inequitable and unjust nation and world. Certainly, it must be true that as followers of Jesus, we should be concerned with striving for justice as black and brown people ask the church, how will you show up? How will you embody Jesus of Nazareth, a brown Palestinian Jew who stood up for all people by meeting them where they are, just as we see today in St. Mark's memories of Jesus's healing? Jairus was in need. He was experiencing the terrible pain of watching the life of a loved one go slowly. So he went to Jesus. He called on Jesus. He believed in Jesus and the power of God's love for healing, God's love for justice, God's love for our wholeness. We see this again in the woman who was suffering of hemorrhages. She knew that even if she were to touch him, even just a little, that she would be made whole, she would be healed. Jesus affirms her doing so by assuring her that her faith has made her well. And then she, he sends her off in peace. Even with just a little bit of Jesus at the center of our common life together, within our institutional policies and practices that govern our locales, and within the deepest parts of our inner being, where we foster and sow either love or hatred, just a little bit of Jesus can transform. If Jesus is preaching, teaching, and healing, then surely as those who believe in him, as those 
who are called to fashion our lives like his, we must also be eager to do our own healing. Healing of our church system relations, which often mimic the very racist ideals from which they were founded. The imperial roots of white nationalism and superiority run deep within the Episcopal Church, our church. And while it may be a hard gulp to swallow, Jesus is calling us to our own healing, our own experience of being raised from the illness to wholeness, just as the little girl when he called out saying, Talitha Kum. I believe that you too, Christ Church, are on this journey of healing and wholeness, as this is what you are called to do and to be right now in the name of Jesus. I believe it because if not, you would not have asked me to offer my heart and soul on such a topic as listening to voices across Black America and the African diaspora. This is good and necessary work that you are doing. This is part of our cause as disciples to be transformed within our inner nature so that our outer nature and relationships may be examples of God's sacrificing love for us. God promises to stand up and to show up for us at our door entering and sometimes breaking through it for us to be raised to help and wholeness. This is just a beginning to the promised transformation that God calls each of us to. And I am delighted to know that it is work that is happening here in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the kind of Jesus that the world needs to see that when we are called to love one another, that love shows up for us, even in the face of fear and misunderstanding. Keep showing up. Keep doing the hard work of facing your inner truth. Keep mutual love and respect at the center of striving to embody the compassion and love of God. In doing so, we surely shall build a beloved community. Amen. <laughs>